what's up? Welcome back to the Betterman Podcast, a podcast with one goal to help men improve their lives, improve their mental health, and help them to achieve more, be happier, and find the right balance. My name is Gabriel Machedet, and every week I try to make two shows, but clearly I have failed because I haven't made a show in the last four weeks. And the goal is, under 20 minutes or less, talk about something that is important in my life and is usually like a challenge or a question that, as men, we face in our path to become better men. Now, the disclaimer that I usually give out is that I'm not a counselor, therapist, a psychotherapist, life coach, financial advisor. I'm just one guy. I'm not a guru trying to talk to someone out there, a mate, while we're having a chat, like drinking a coffee, tea, or cold beer. And today is show number 12 after uh, being away for a few weeks. I will talk about this, why I was away in the few weeks from the show in the next uh, podcast. But today I'll talk about something that I actually recorded the podcast and then I didn't publish for stupid reasons. So let's talk a little bit about becoming a minimalist. Now, becoming a minimalist is one of the things that has been the most interesting paths in my life so far regarding um, changing the way that I look at things. Now, it's not the easiest thing in the world to become a minimalist. And I tend to believe that in many cases, we tend to associate the whole process of becoming a minimalist with this Maria Kondo that is, you're going to just put everything on a box and you're going to start embracing everything and then you are going to have absolutely nothing at home. And literally, that is not the idea that uh, that I see with minimalists. So there's a lot of Netflix kind of approach with the minimalism and in a kind of way it makes minimalist a little bit kind of like silly uh, deep inside and I don't want to go there I want to go to something that is a bit different my approach to minimalism a little bit from uh, Joshua Field Milburn and Ryan Nicke Domius the guys from the minimalist the initial ones and these guys very interesting approach because what they try to showcase is that you can build special rules around your own system of becoming a minimalist. Now, you can actually do whatever you want to do to become a minimalist. There's no a handbook, there's no an association, there's no a specific process to, to become a minimalist. And that is the most important part, okay? Now, in, in this, um, in the Netflix special of Minimalist, we see how these guys technically go from owning a lot of stuff to going to, I mean, to the barely minimum. And that is one of the parts that is a little bit weird for me because people believe that a minimalist environment is someone that has absolutely nothing. I have three kids. Two of them are teenagers. I mean, almost the second one is a teenager now. And clearly, if you come to my house, you would not consider myself a minimalist. And this is one of the interesting parts is that we have these preconceptions of what is a minimalist and what is not a minimalist. And I think a little bit gets influenced by the kind of like approach of the of Maria Kondo, the Japanese ninja of minimalist. But one of the things I want to talk a little bit about here is how you can actually build little rules and one of the things that you can actually do that is interesting is experiment. I wrote in my first book, Zero Excuses, that one of the most interesting things you can actually do is do personal experiments to yourself. Instead of you going and saying, you know what, I'm going to just uh, become an minimalist tomorrow, is just experiment with yourself. Ask yourself the question, it's like, okay, you know what, one of the things I want to do is I want to see how will this look. I want to try to understand 
how this is going to pattern with my life, and then, based on that, move on. Okay, so we're going to talk about um, the rules that I have established, and many of these ones are copy and borrow from the minimalist 60 16 rules of living with less that is part of the of the website the minimalist so you can actually go and check it out and they have 16 and here's the interesting part i don't apply i don't use the 16 i have used a few of them so the first one that is very important is number three is no junk rule and no junk rule i mean i'm pretty sure you're very smart you can actually understand what this is is that everything in your life has to be placed in three piles it's going to be the essential pile the non-essential pile and the junk now, unfortunately, the junk is literally one of the things that becomes, I mean, louder in our life. And I think louder is a good word because loudness confuses us. Loudness provides this this constant noise, mental noise, emotional noise, and needs all this collection of artifacts that don't purpose and doesn't bring us any joy. Now, the average Western house has hundreds of thousands of items and if you really analyze them, many of them are junk. We're talking about the Happy Meal toy. I keep talking about the Happy Meal toy that you can bring that home and you leave it on on a shelf and it stays there for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months. And the, the question is, what are the true essential things? And essential things are going to be food, shelter, clothes, that's it, okay? And then non-essential things are things that... That if you think about it, it's, it's very nice to have, but you don't need them. I mean, you don't need a couch. Now, it's lovely to have a couch, but you don't need them. Now, I'm not talking about getting rid of your couch and sleeping on the floor because that is not the point of minimalism. But we're talking about identifying the ones that you say, you know what? If this item disappears of my life right now, it's not going to change my life. And I think that is the first step to understand is divide things in three piles. Once again, essential, non-essential, and junk. Very interesting. Now, the other one is that I actually really like is the whole idea of one in, ten out. And one in, ten out is a very specific rule to compact the impulse of shopping and help you to minimize, I mean, I mean, the efforts that is implemented um, when you're actually going and trying to buy new things. So it's very simple. Is What you do is if you buy something in, 10 things have to go out, okay? So you want to buy a new t-shirt, okay, so 10 articles of clothing have to go to donation. If you want to buy a new chair, then 10 pieces of furniture have to be sold on eBay. If you want a new blender, then 10 kitchen items have to be removed of your kitchen. And I know it sounds extreme, but you will be amazed of how extremely easy that is. It's such an easy thing to be able to remove things because we don't remove things systematically in our life. And that's one of the things that I will highly suggest that you establish the one in, ten out. The number, the, the, the other rule that I really love is the just-in-case rules. And if you are a guy that I know you listen to these, we have all these all the time. And it's just-in-case. So I went to Kilimanjaro and I got two pants that were just for jungle tra- trekking. I was a bit... I mean, heavier back then, and those pants, I still have them because just in case I go back to the jungle. And and, and it's, in reality, is ridiculous. Or I have this gear that was just in case my kids need to go back to the snow for skiing. And the reality is that that, 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 that clothing that I found the other day, 
is never going to fit them. It's never going to fit them because it has been in the just-in-case box for the last six years. So this is an interesting part that that's the easiest way for us to validate, I mean, fictitiously validate these artifacts that we believe that they're going to be super important. Example is with the bills that we have. It's like, well, just in case, I'm going to keep this bill. And the other day, I threw out in the garbage uh, some papers, financial papers that I had that were from 2001, believe it or not, and they were already online a, a long time ago. And I, I had, I mean, hundreds of these papers and they were in my box of just in case. Like you never know when I'm going to need this. And this is something that is so easy for us to gather. I used to be a professional scuba diving instructor and as a diver, Oh my God, what you do as a diver is you collect stuff absolutely constantly. You always have something just in case, just in case. And eventually I remember waking up one day and my my ex-wife back then said to me, oh my God, you have 27 scuba diving masks and you don't even rent them. These are yours. And I realized, well, I mean, I may need them. And I was like, there's never going to be a moment where I'm going to need 25 scuba diving masks especially when I work in a dive center that provides scuba diving masks. So the just-in-case rule is one of the most important ones to remove yourself because it always creates this anxiety. And one of the things that we do, we collect items nonstop, items that if we really need them in emergency, they will cost $10 to go and buy in Target. So that is going to be kind of like an interesting part. It's like, do we really need them or not? So... These are one of the three rules. Now, the other one that I really like is the wait for it rule. It's rule number nine of the minimalist 16 rules of living with less. And this is an interesting one. If something wants to cost more than $30, what they write here is I ask myself whether I can get it without it for the next 30 hours. And if it's $100 or more, I tend to wait 30 days. And this is actually very interesting. And it's, it becomes like a self-discipline kind of ruling to yourself. And it's controlling a little bit. I mean, your impulse, and this is something, impulses is something that I'm right now battling. I mean, extremely in my life, I'm trying to have a lot of self-control with some emotionals that are a bit deeper than we actually think. So when we're buying things, usually our approach is like, yeah, I really need to. But the question is, first of all, we may not need it. But second thing is that because we allowed it, our impulse to flourish, what's, got, what's happening with us is that we are allowing something to grow And in that moment, that growing of that feeling, I mean, that almost like obsession or addiction to buy something is going to make the problem even worse. And the problem with this is that no one is going to really make you accountable from buying things. In fact, people celebrate that you buy things. So as soon as you say, oh, I bought something new, people go like, oh, well done, congratulations. No one tells you, hey, you shouldn't be buying more stuff. Hey, control yourself. Hey, are you sure you need that? Because we have no awareness of these of these rules, we, no one is trying to prevent you from buying more things, and that is the the worst part. Now, the next next rule number four that I really like this is not number four; it's number ten in the minimalist sixteen rules of living for less. Once again, I'm, I'm talking about this, and actually, I printed this on my on my office, so I have it there present. And is this one could be the most difficult one for guys for men out there and it's the rule of do not upgrade rule and the do not upgrade rule is this constant bombardment that we get all the time advertisements spend millions of dollars to create this sense of urgency to make us drool for the products and we can't refuse to play that game so i actually have right now a samsung galaxy s20 
fan edition that I think, based on my own records, I think is like a very great phone and is like the light version. But as soon as I purchased these, holy cow, there was a new product. There was a new Samsung coming there. And every time I go to pay my phone bill online, I, I have this little banner that says, are you sure you don't want to upgrade for the next one? And there's always going to be a next one. And I'm always tempted to think, well, you know, I mean, they're offering the phone for free if I go on a plan of 36 months with them, of course, right? And I was thinking, well, this phone potentially could be better because you know what? I mean, the battery is fast, charges faster. And this is one of the things that I'm constantly battling because we want to upgrade. We want to fall into this path, into this game that if we upgrade something that is external, if we actually go and get something better, if I just go and get the next Xbox, my kids are going to have a better time. And the other day I was playing with my kids' Xbox. We were playing Assassin's Creed, one of these games, uh, the one in Greece. I mean, it was, a, it was a beautiful freaking game. I mean, and my son was saying to me, Dad, how amazing is this game? How beautiful are the images? How great the resolution? What an amazing television do we have? And I was thinking, there's no way that I would have expected 25 years ago that I was going to play a game with such a quality. But now... Subconsciously, I'm thinking, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. And this happens to me all the time. So I have a, a, a an old, beautiful Audi TT at 1.8 uh, that I absolutely love. It's, it's 15 years old. It's my pride and joy. It didn't cost so much money. But guess what I do all the time? I'm looking about, should I upgrade the car? Should I consider a better car? Should I actually go and get a faster car? What about if I go for, for a Nissan, I mean, 350Z? What about if I go for a Porsche? And is my mind constantly thinking, hey, I can get more, I can get more, I can get more. And the constant wanting to get more is normal. But the problem is that you can always go without it, okay? And that is an interesting thing. And sometimes we just want to upgrade because we want to fall in the game. So it's going to be interesting, I mean, to, to try to follow um, those rules. The, the next rule that is actually an interesting one, I'm pretty crappy with that, a pretty crappy, is the idea of selling deadline rule. And it's one of these things that you always think, when I talk to people about why you don't get rid of this, usually the way that we rationalize things, the way that we're trying to fight with things, the, the way that we're trying to uh, mentally approach to things is that we go and say, you know what, well, that cost me a lot of money and I'm not willing to lose money. And that makes completely sense. You're talking to someone that run businesses, you're someone, someone that understands the importance of knowing very clear the value of things. And I'm very frugal with the money that I spend sometimes. So what I'm trying to do is that I'm going to use that line on you. And the problem is that we're using that line on ourselves always. So we say, oh, well, you know what? Sorry. I mean, in this case, it's very important for me to recover the money. So the selling deadline rule is actually very simple. It's what you do is you say, okay, you know what? What you're going to do is you are going to just put yourself a time limit where you will say to yourself, well, guess what? What I'm going to do is if I don't sell this item in 30 days, I'm going to give it away for free. That's it. If I don't sell this item in 30 days, it goes away for free. Because one of the things I don't want to do is I don't want to keep it there forever because it will stay forever. And we know that. We know how many times we refuse to get rid of something because we think we don't want to lose. That's the most funny thing. I mean, that's why people lose so much money in the stock market when the stock market is crashing sometimes and may not recover because not everything recovers in life. It's like, there's no way I'm going to sell this. There's no way I'm going to sell this. And sometimes if you have sold 
you could recover something, but we keep going down, we keep going down because it's our ego and we want to recover what we put on. And this trying to recover something is going to make us unhappy and it's going to keep us always, always, always with that item. It's like an attachment, it's like a bad, I mean, marriage where we refuse to get divorced. And I mean, God knows that I know a lot about getting divorced. So the idea is if unsuccessfully after 30 days, you have to accept that it's time um, to give the item away. And that means selling away. So in day 31, donate the item to a friend or responsible donation, I mean, charity. Okay, very interesting. Okay, so those are the rules of minimalism. There's more rules, I mean, out there. But one of the interesting things is that what these rules is allows you to become more self-aware about a few things. And this is the way it has changed my life. And I want to talk a little bit about my personal experience is after my second separation, one of the things I realized is that my house for an external reason was full of items. And these full items were completely overwhelming me okay these items were all over the house in a kind of way i didn't even know what house i was living on because this house that i was was completely full of items and these items were the identity of the house and indirectly of myself and i, I realized wait a second i don't even know what i have what i want and the house became more like a storage of objects versus a place for us to live and I know that this is not very easy to say or to confess, but one of the things I realized is that the more space that I have physically, visually, the better emotionally I felt. And even my kids right now, they feel stress when they go to places where people hoard items, where people collect a lot of stuff, because there's nothing more stressful when you go to a place that is absolutely overwhelming. And that's why when you go to a place like Japan, you feel so in peace and you, you, you wonder, like, I wonder what's, what's, what's in the air here, what's in the water in Japan. And the reason is this minimalist approach to life where the minimum is enough. And when what you have is enough, when you allow things to disappear, when you allow those birthday cards to go away because you already enjoy them, they gave you joy. And you know that keeping them is just more of an attachment issue than your need to I mean, to replicate that joy. People talk a lot about, well, like keeping three or four or five or six boxes of birthday cards because I open them and give me joy. And we, we both know that that is a fallacy. It's not true. It's you're just keeping them because you believe the gift cards or the birthday cards are part of who you are. And minimalism has allowed me to understand that I'm not the object. I'm not the sunglasses. I'm not the latest phone. I'm not the latest laptop. I still buy things. I still fall... I mean, down, but I think that the more that we do this, the better we become. So if you haven't approached it, I mean, my suggestion is go and check out the Minimalist website, try to follow some of the rules and do some experiment and hopefully it's going to give you a more meaningful life and allow you to live a life with less stuff and less stuff means easier to organize your life, easier to clean your house and God, I promise you, when you spend less time cleaning your house, your life becomes better. Okay, so this is show number 12. Thank you. I'm back on the podcast and I'm excited to be here. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you guys on the next show here at the Better Man Podcast. See ya.